Welcome to the Hustle and Flow podcast. The platform we use to explore varying perspectives and opinion through candid conversation. We chat about philosophy, business, and all things life. I'm Sean the Hustle. And I'm Les the Flow. Let's go. All right, guys, today we're filming um, on site. Uh, first time for this and, uh, you know, filming at the studio of our, of our guest who has graciously allowed us to use this space for today's podcast. Um, so our guest, I'll tell you a bit about him. Uh, when he was younger, he harbored a lot of dark emotions. He was a shy and worried kid. And as he grew older, he started to develop deeper feelings of anger and guilt. And before he knew it, he was an adult full of resentment and insecurities. The world became a hunting ground for him to find happiness, love and validation. He ended up working in the TV industry for 14 years, trying, trying to prove that he was someone. But as work consumed his existence, he felt like he was losing any scope of why he was living anymore. This was when yoga attracted him. When he first started practicing yoga, it was purely about releasing physical tension. Though it has become much more than the physical practice for him now. For him, yoga is now about letting go of emotional stress and putting all his awareness on healing. It is about finding the yogic state of calm, peace, kindness, and self-love. Yoga changes life. About five years of practicing Ashtanga, Hatha, and Vinyasa yoga styles, he left his job in 2019 for a year to focus on himself and is now certified with 200 hours of International Yoga Alliance teaching training. His mission is to help men and women in need of releasing stress in order to find their interpretation of peace, strength, flexibility, happiness, and maybe one day, bliss. So with that, welcoming in Darren Wong, Thank you for joining us today, Des. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here in your beautiful space and to uh, be able to do this in person. So thank you for joining us and giving us the time today, Darren. Pleasure. And um, yeah, what we'd love to do is invite you to share your origin story with us in as much detail as you'd like, as far back as you'd like to go. That's what we'd love to start with. Origin story. Your origin yeah. story. What's that? So the Darren you were to Darren you are today and Holy how you come to be him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, looking at that biography, it's kind of like a flash of my life, like really summing it up in, in one kind of paragraph. Wow. So the origin of who I was and who I am today. Um, so I think... My, when I feel my childhood, um, my childhood feels unsteady. So I feel like I was born into this world, into uh, a kind of a, a place of unsteadiness. Like it just mm. felt, uh, it felt unhappy for me. You know, I had, uh, I, it's just what it is. And I don't think it's anyone's fault Everyone has come into their lives with their own experiences and their own traumas. So I'm not blaming uh, my parents for anything. They've had a really tough life. And so they hold their traumas. So I believe that energetically we all carry parts of our parents 
energy, what they've held onto, their stories, their energy, their anxieties, their traumas, their stresses, their belief systems, their patterns. Mm. I believe that's carried on uh, into the next generation. So I'm just trying to, I was trying to think about this the other day, you know, your earliest memory. Yeah. What was your earliest memory? Uh, it's funny because someone asked me that recently as well. Yeah. Uh, my earliest memory is from when I was three years old. And it was with my great auntie um, sorting fennel seeds. So I remember it distinctly. And I oh, remember wow. exactly like you sit on the couch at home because my great auntie lived with us. Yeah. And she was like my mum too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and she used to sort fennel seeds and um, for, for when she cooked in this silver dish. We used to sit on the couch and she used to let me sort some. So like you'd sort out the stuff that you didn't want from the pack. Yeah, like yeah. And, stuff. and that's my earliest memory. And then with that, I also remember being, also when I was three, I used to watch Sesame Street and I used to run into her room and ask her if it was three o'clock yet. And she had this little silver clock and I knew what three o'clock was. I knew yeah. that if the hand went like this and like that, Sesame Street time. Cute. So I'd always be like, Cute. is it three? Go and ask her, run in, look at the clock. So yeah, they're my earliest memories. And so what, what was the feeling that you, like with that memory, what, what kind of feeling do I oh, just do you love, have? like it was the best. It was the best. Wow. Like she's one of the most important people in my life, like shaped me, um, nurtured me. Um, I would say the most selfless person I've known. Yeah. She just, um, she left school when she was like 12 or 13 to mm. take care of her mother and her auntie mm. who, um, you know, had their own elements and she never worked like in employment, like traditional employment, but she worked very hard her whole life taking care of my entire family. So her parents, um, all of her brothers, uh, cause she had three brothers then when they had wives. Um, so my grandfather married my grandma and then still lived with my great aunt and one of his brothers and my dad and my auntie. So they lived like in a kind of joint family, right? In one house. And um, my great aunt used to take care of everyone. And then when my parents migrated to Australia, my dad actually brought her here first to see if she liked it before his parents. And she, she liked it, so then, um, she was like, yep, I'd like to say, then he brought over my grandparents and we all lived together. So she was really important, integral part of my family um, and took care of all of us down to when we were born. So when my sister was born before me, took care of my sister, then she took care of me. Then my auntie had children, took care of my two cousins and then moved to their house and took care of them until she was almost 90. And um, she, she had a stroke when she was in her 90s and she lost control of like her left leg in that. So um, she needed two people to lift her and to go to the bathroom and things. So she eventually had to go into like aged care as much as we want to keep her at home. Um, but she lived with us until she was 19, took care of everyone until she was 90, like did everything, everything. Um, so just love, man. That's what I feel when I think of her and, and the, that my earliest memories, like I really cherish that they're about her. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that feeling is what I'm, I guess what I'm all about, I love to be able to, I love to be able to see the world through the feeling. So just then when you said that word love, I feel, felt the tingles in my body, you know, that, that vibration of that love that you can feel, that you remember, that you can tap into when you're a kid, that's a 
beautiful thing to have. I think we all want to have that feeling of deep love. Um, yeah. What about you, Leslie? Interesting. Um, you know, it's funny, like, when you guys were just talking and sharing about this, um, and, you know, we were talking about this off camera before mm -hmm. in terms of, like, some of my personal struggles that I've um, been working to overcome. And I think it's sort of stemmed and it sort of talks to that similar issue or, or problem that I felt. And when you were trying to describe your childhood, mm. um, you know, I, I, I felt something there, you know, something akin to what I felt as a kid. That resonated with what I was talking about. Yes, Do you yes. think it's an Asian thing? Look, it possibly is because the way that I sort of describe it a little bit, yeah. right, because like when I um, was growing up, I felt like a fish out of water just because I grew up, you know, in, um, you know, neighborhoods where there was a, like a, a predominant Caucasian demographic. Um, and I just felt the need to fit in for some reason, mm. you know, and I didn't ever feel like I fit in, you know. Um, <clears throat> there was this lack of or want of validation and I wasn't getting it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and I think that that sort of uh, was the foundations for this anxious energy that I carried for, mm. for uh, many, many you know, years of my life. So when you ask me that question, what's my earliest memory, I, I can't really pinpoint anything because I've, I've told this story before on the podcast or, or said similar things in that you know, a lot of my formative years, although I do remember bits and pieces of it, there's nothing that is vibrant. There's nothing that is like, that stands out to the level of detail, like, like the story that, you know, uh, you described, Sean. Um, nothing like that at all. You know, and, and I was trying to think of these, um, as you were talking, trying to think of the, the, the memories that may have come first in my childhood, but I can't, I, I don't know which one comes first. And I, I think that um, the, the, the moment change in my awareness of, of this um, came to be when I became more aware of myself, you know, and my, my situation just being more aware of, of everything, of, of being like consciously being aware, you know, not just flitting through life and um, skimming over the, the surface and just existing and sort of just picking up memories along the way. and. They, they may or may not have been very accurate, you know, when I look back, you know, who knows? Um, I can't say for sure that they, they happened exactly as I remember them because my level of awareness back then probably wasn't there just because I was probably focusing on something else, you know? Well, yeah, I feel like if we are in some kind of state of disharmony or a state of stress, especially as a kid, we're not really present in that moment. We have lots of layers of things that are fluctuating our mind. You know, if we have, say, the parents who are really angry and fighting all the time, fighting all the time and uh, putting uh, the kid in a state of stress, that, that kid is like not necessarily really present with that moment or necessarily present in, in life. They're just worried about, you know, feeling loved. Yeah, for sure. And I think, look, um, that 
like, like you were saying before, what we inherit, mm. what, in, what, what we inherit from, from our parents, mm. and then, you know, what they have inherited from their parents and so on mm. and so forth, like that, that lineage of, of uh, whatever um, trauma, stress that carries through the generations, right? Like, <clears throat> like my parents were, they, they, they were loving parents, but at the same time, they worked very hard to, to make sure that we, my brother and I, uh, had a more comfortable existence than they did, right? Big time. You know, um, I think that was the atypical um, immigrant story, you know, and, and my parents sort of lived that. They came with like, you know, 100 bucks in their pocket, you know, from Hong Kong. Mm. And um, they just came over for, uh, for a chance to have a better existence for their children, you know, who they started a family here for uh, my brother and I and um, and yeah like it was stressful like I remember that they were working a lot mm. they're working a lot so they weren't around a lot you know so I think that sort of plays into a little bit of this this lack of you know at least physical um, love and attention um, when that that you really need as a, as a child you know yeah I, th- I thought about this a lot and I think it, it comes down to a belief system which will shape the reality around us Mm. so i've no doubt that my parents had a huge amount of love for me and wanted the best for me and wanted me to grow up in their eyes as successful and happy but in a paradigm where success and happiness comes from career, business, reputation, being a, inverted commas, good person in the eyes of society. When we work in that reality, then that's what we believe so if 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 if, if they believe that you know pushing a kid to get into a good career so that they can make lots of money so they can be financially free so they didn't have to uh endure the sufferings that they did um then that is their version of love yeah which is one vibration in itself and and I believe in those times back then, we didn't have the knowledge of understanding our emotions and how our emotions affect the way that we feel. For sure. At the end of the day, I feel like the sense of love that one gets, a deep sense of fulfillment, a deep sense of love, will never come from striving and achieving these things. Mm-hmm. is what I've learnt. Well, this is in my experience. You know? yeah. I, yeah. I, because that was the validation, because that was their reality paradigm of what love is, I spent those entire years trying to earn my love through working hard, doing a great, you know, straight-A student at school. I duxed every year until... Uh, 
I was in year 12 and then I didn't get the ducks, <laughs> the most integral year. And then, you know, going to uni, getting good grades at uni, getting a good job in TV, earning, you know, whatever. You know, my parents were proud in that aspect, but why did I still never feel loved or a warm, fuzzy feeling or that I was ever good enough? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> So this leads to, I think for me, my story, the root cause of not feeling loved uh, emotionally and which has caused me the hugest amount of stress is my sexuality. Now, if we're going to hit the nail right on the head, I think I would have felt that love a little bit more if I wasn't gay and I went on to earn all these things. But the thing is, I went to succeed to some degree on, in, my, in my career, but the fact that, you know, they knew, you know, that this is a different story, that I was gay and didn't fit the religion, which they're, they're Christian, mm. I had always felt not good enough. I'd always felt guilt. I'd always felt shamed. I held on to that for a huge amount of my life. I, I, I never felt like I was worthy or lovable. I felt like I was sinner, a sinner. And, you know, I tried to change this when I was younger. I, I remember because I used to be made to go to church. I, I used to have a Bible next to my bed. I used to, like, read the Bible and try to pray my gayness away. But... Seriously, I don't know if anyone out there can like questions whether it is a choice or not. I don't feel like there is a choice in your sexuality for the most part. I'm pretty open to ideas and thoughts on this, but in my experience, you can't change it. You know, historically, you can't change it with electrocution and programs. It just causes us gay people to go through a huge amount of suffering and a lot of mental illness and a lot of suicide has happened because of this repression. I guess it comes back to that root cause of not feeling that love, not feeling whole, not feeling at peace with yourself, enduring a lot of suffering, depression, mental health, anxieties, being an outsider in the family. This is, and, and, and it just is what it is, you know what I mean? My, my family is, the, 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 my family's good. They work, they've worked hard, they've just wanted me to have a good life, but me, by nature, who I am, does not fit in with their paradigm of what they believe will bring happiness to a person. You know, being a godly person, a Christian, wholesome person that has a family with a woman is what brings happiness. But I've learned or I believe that that's not the case. These are just all superficial things on one layer that may or may not bring true happiness. And this is where it what brought me to my path of yoga yeah and you know i i think that because because you know i haven't known you for that long you know mm. i've known, known you for a couple of years you know if that and um for as long as i've known you hold I've on always, did you know i was gay i had an inkling <laughs> okay. you didn't ever tell me but you know yeah i never told you <laughs> but you know um 
you were the, you were a happy guy. You were ne- you were never someone who I felt was um, who exuded any sort of negative energy. You know, I, I always felt like you were very positive and happy, and um, uh, and and that sort of is testament to, I suppose, um, what you're saying here, right? Mm. In terms of a, a particular way of living and what defines success or happiness or anything like this. Um, I feel like you know this this existing paradigm of uh, of a system of belief that is conditioned and um, agreed uh, in a, at a collective level. Mm. Um, this cannot be um, or will not be uh, success as defined by an individual necessarily. You know, it can be, but it doesn't necessarily need to be or will be. You know, um, and I think that's the important thing here. Like our parents in that generation may not have had the awareness to understand that to that degree. And um, they, I think they will push us based on uh, 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 an agreed notion or a belief that they, they hold in their, in their hearts mm. to be true. And that, that, that is their version of love, whether, whether or not it's right or wrong. And I feel like I had the same experience as a kid, you know. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the, the stereotype is that you know, um, Asians are, are intellectually smart and they'll do very well, you know, at academ- maths, you know, academically <laughs> yeah. at math, all this sort of thing, and they'll have you know really good jobs in in, in uh, successful careers in, in um, you know reputable businesses or um, high standing sort of types of roles or industries, you know. And I, I I was I was shit at school, you know. I was good when I wanted to be, but I even in school when I reflect back. I already felt um, some sort of, you know, abrasiveness towards that system of learning. Mm. Like nothing um, resonated with me in the system, you know. Well, all I wanted to do was, you know, rebel against that, you know. It was too much for me. Uh, but I always thought back then that I was just dumb, you know, because I didn't, you know, meet that uh, pass-fail criteria, mm. you know, that very du- dualistic way of thinking. You either pass or you're or or you're a failure, and I, I and I sort of sat in that in that failure mold, you know. Um, until now, you know, my 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 success or my definition of success or happiness or contentment or fulfillment, it it, it is completely opposite to anything that most people will think, you know. Um, and I've have had to come to that, you know, understanding for myself, and, and I think that everyone must to some degree. Well, I always come back to like, okay, what if we achieve all these things? Like, what if we go to our wits end, you know, succeeding on a superficial level, getting, you know, that career, that house, that car, whatever. But what is all of this if we don't have our minds? What what is all of this if we don't have our peace of mind? Mm. Which I, you know, I see a lot of, you see, I, I see people who, you know, are striving to have that, but the process in getting there is a real struggle. And, you know, you see people on antidepressants and struggling with drama in their lives. Um, whereas, I guess, look, it's, it's all a choice. I, I believe if one endures enough 
suffering they're going to be propelled into a place where they are in search of something bigger something that's going to bring them uh, peace of mind for sure Shauna we'd love to bring you in especially surrounding you know this whole um, I guess uh, collective understanding of success um, how you've personally interpreted it and how you have maybe um, seen that adapt and evolve in your own perspective yeah so for me I guess well to start with I guess I was really fortunate in terms of my family my parents and you know I essentially had like five parents Mm. because I had my grandparents my great aunt and my parents who were also very loving always there for me and my sister and my entire family and even like you know extend out to um you know my uncles and aunties so like had a very loving childhood um so i don't have um i've never had that experience of like longing for love outside of like a romantic relationship when i was young or younger right a past so but in terms of like my family and my security and stuff like that and affection there, um, you know, I've been very blessed. I feel very fortunate with that. And so for me, with that kind of squared away, if you will, uh, success for me and what that pursuit was, was all those superficial things, right? Because I'd also been around people who had done financially well, you know, from quite a young age. And um, I saw that life appeared to be better. You know, things were easier. They had more fun, um, for, like just optically, right? Not knowing when you're younger the all the things people deal with, you just see on the surface level what's going on, right? So people seem like they're happy, seem like they're having fun. Things are easier, and it felt to me like money achieved that, right? So it was like get a good career, study really hard. That was always one thing in my household. I had to study hard. It was always the track of do well at school, go to university. I was fortunate as well as that I was never like pushed by my parents to do any certain thing. You know, I think a lot of people on the subcontinent, they're like, you will be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. That is what you will be. I remember being like quite young, um, you know, and I, I love my dad and really respected him from when I was really young. And I saw how hard he worked and he was an engineer, right? He was a computer hardware engineer. And so when I was a kid, I was like, well, I want to be an engineer because I want to be like my dad, right? I didn't realize like, because I want to be like my dad, but I was like, I'll be an engineer. And then I remember um, it coming up one day. It was like, what do you want to do when you're older? And I told my dad and I was like, well, I'd like to be an engineer. And he was like, son, there's a lot better ways to make money than to be an engineer, you know? Um, And for him, it was his way of telling me like, you can pursue other things and you might be happier doing that because of his experience. So my dad spent a long, long time working more overtime than regular hours, like for decades. He worked super hard to, to do everything to support our family and to you know give us a really good life um, and my mum too. So um, I saw hard work from a young age and I saw that that brought success too. So I was like hard work, be financially set. And if you study hard and you do really well, you can get those jobs which give you those things. So that was, how I viewed success for a long time and I was striving for that. 
and I did that. You know, like in my corporate career, I made good money. Um, you know, I was, <clears throat> I got good grades, I did university, I graduated, I got a graduate role in a good company, I made good money. Um, but then I didn't feel happy. And it was because, um, you know, we've talked about this like Les and I, but it was like, it was this script that I had, this subconscious script that I had that I was running to. Um, but it's someone else's script. It's not mm. my script, right? And then I had to stop and I'm like, well, what do I want my script to be, mm. right? Um, because I also realized that for the longest time, I was just a people pleaser, right? That's, that's just how I was through, throughout life and especially in my career. Like my corporate career was I have to do really well and appear a certain way and appease these people and then I'll get what I want. And I never got what I wanted, right? Like I never felt like, I never felt at peace. I didn't have peace of mind, right? Um, and then, so I was like, well, this is my script, I didn't write it. So what, what do I want? And so for me, success now is really about achieving your heart's innermost desire, whatever that is. And I'm still searching for that, right? Um, I still do place quite a lot of gravity on financial success, only because even being older and the experiences that I've had, things are easier when you have more money, right? That's my experience. Um, and also through different experiences that I've had, uh, you know, uh, difficulties that have been endured by those around me, um, really close to me, that money has helped, right? Mm. And for me, it's not a have one or the other. And that's what's really, um, for me, I think is different. I think a lot of times people think they can have one or the other. It's like you'll be financially successful and you're going to struggle like shit and grind yourself into the dirt and you'll have money, but you're probably going to be unhappy. Whereas I don't see it that way. I, I think you can be financially successful and you can feel fulfilled or content or blissful. Totally. Or be abundant you know I mean? in all areas. Yeah. But the, the inner, this, the achievement of your heart's innermost desire is what I feel is actually going to bring you to a, a state of bliss, right? Which is what I think we're searching for. Mm. And, um, that's what success is to me now. I still want the other stuff, but that's the most important and the other stuff kind of rounds it out nice. Yes, so that, well, you know, when, when you're talking like that, I, I'm again getting those goosebumps, but it reminds me of um, going back to yoga and how that helped change me and shift my life which is an integral part of the shift of who I was to who I am today. And so talking about bliss, I'll talk about the first time I experienced it was, you know, I was working full time in TV and that's when I just started yoga to, you know, just release the physical tension in my body. And I was doing this at Virgin Active in Moore Park and I was living in Zetland across the road. So I'd go into this um, kind of uh, habit of going to yoga three, four, five times a week after work. When I was not shooting in a way, I would just be having a consistent lifestyle. The, the yoga is what kept me sane. So uh, uh, this one time I went to yoga 
And yoga always felt good and amazing afterwards. It's just, you know, you learn to use your breath to tame your nervous system, to calm your thoughts, so you can confront quite strong yoga postures. You sweat it out, your body feels open, you have more of a sense of a freedom, not only in the body, like your body feels more open and flexible, your mind feels just a lot more calm. It's like the stresses of the day have, have, have gone behind. But this one particular time, I had my yoga session after work and then I went into the showers and I always had it because it was got sweaty, I'd always just have a shower after yoga. I went into the showers and I just had my normal shower. And then I was just there enjoying the shower. It felt really fucking good and it was hot. And then all of a sudden, everything started to just slow right down as if it was in slow motion. And I could see, you know, I felt the hot water on my body. It just felt so good in the moment. I wasn't thinking of anything else. I was just enjoying that moment for what it was. And then I'd be looking at the wall and I could see all the droplets of water in slow motion. And I was just like kind of frozen in time and everything was feeling really good. I was feeling warm. And it was that sensation of everything's okay. Everything's just good. Everything's all is well. Mm. It's kind of like... A moment of it was bliss it's like in that moment in that one moment all the sufferings all the worries all the mental anxieties had lifted because you're not thinking about anything else when you truly i feel like tapped into a very like learning to tap into each now present moment and focusing on the good feeling in each present moment and the breath is calm and everything's calm i feel like that's when we can tap into uh, somewhat of a blissful state that was the first time that i felt that and that is the feeling that keeps drawing me back and that is the feeling where i keep learning about myself in yoga and and that is the feeling which helps me to find wisdom in yoga that that blissful feeling when everything is okay when everything's still you're tapped into your heart center you're present then you can gain wisdom to understand exactly what is going on. You can see a little bit more the world for what it is. You can see reality. You can observe and have scope over your own life. And then you make wise and conscious decisions on what path to choose, what to let go of, what to keep focusing on. And so I guess that was a pivotal point in my journey that kind of led me to want to leave my career and yeah, pursue this kind of avenue. So how did that develop for you? What was that transition like? <laughs> well, I was I knew I wasn't going to live the rest of my life working in TV. I worked in reality TV and um, it's a lot of hard work kind of long hours, intense, high stress, dealing with people's emotions, uh, being a bit of an asshole. You know, all that stuff didn't resonate with me anymore. Like, I think my soul was shifting. And so I had to make a plan. My exit plan was I'm going to work for a year. I save up as much money as I could um, and then not work for a year. So that's what I did. I worked for the year, saved up as much money as I could. Then I ended up moving back to near my parents. Um, 
and I just didn't work for a year and I just did nothing really I don't even remember like I literally did nothing and people were like you're gonna go on holidays I'm like, no I'm just gonna do nothing to sit and mm. do nothing and figure out what I want to do and in that time I decided okay I think yoga is my passion hmm I should do something with yoga maybe I'll become a teacher I wasn't even a teacher back then and then um that space above the acupuncture clinic across the road I went and got acupuncture one day because um I had a sore back and the lady there Rachel she offered me a really tiny space at the top of the acupuncture studio Mm. to to do yoga I don't think I was even a teacher then and then I was just like sure like these are signs maybe and I'm like I better get my teacher training (laughs) so so I got my teacher training and then opened up a little studio so that was my transition okay it's really interesting um so when you said you decided you weren't going to do anything for a year like when I think about that I'm like so many things fly through my mind. Like, what? what would you do? You know that, and that's the difference. So, like you said to yourself, I'm not going to do anything for a year. Whereas for me, I'm like, if I'm not going to do anything for a year, what am I going to do? And it's like the uh, absolute polarity of that. Okay, let's get this. I mean. Let's get this straight. I, I, I didn't mean not do, do anything. I, I did a lot. I, I instead of external stuff, I did internal stuff because yeah, yeah, yeah. I dived <clears throat> deep for it. That's for not a nothing. That's no, nothing. that's not nothing, right? That's I what I mean. So when yeah. you say it, that's why I'm like, um, that's why I'm interested by it. I'm curious, like when you say nothing, what was nothing to you? Like, was it the nothingness of, mm. of, uh, of work? So there was a nothingness in the eyes of most people in society. So, you know, my day would be, uh, I always love going to the gym and doing my yoga. So I'll do gym and yoga. And then I'll you know, just sit and eat and... Now, do little things to develop my healing and to shift and to kind of like move forward with where I wanted to personally develop. So I knew I had lots of anger and resentment towards, you know, my family and still had lots of stuff to deal with in regards to my own sexuality and understanding my own self-worth. So a part of that um, doing nothing would be like I went and got all these photos of my mom, my dad, uh, their parents my grandmother my grandfather who I never met they're really cool old school photos and black and white ones and I just kind of created like a thing on the wall like frames of all of them and part of the reasoning of that was my healing like I needed to observe and watch and contemplate every day what they had been through why they are like how they are and somehow seek within myself some level of compassion empathy forgiveness to let go of any of my resentment or anger within myself of not feeling loved or not feeling good enough mm-hmm. or feeling that I was a piece of shit or feeling I was a sinner or feeling like I was dirty you know uh, I, I had to like they weren't necessarily going to change I had to change myself if I had to remove some of this dense energy that was sitting within my soul it didn't come out like to most people like people would see me and I'm like a kind positive person it's because I eat up all that stuff inside and I let it sit which is 
and and I believe it uh, manifests as physical tension, tightness in the body, you know, our emotions. Sure. Or eventually, if we hold on to them for long enough, and if they're toxic enough, they turn into uh, illnesses or disease. 100%. That's why I love yoga so much. For me, it's healing. You release the physical, you release the tension in the body, but you also have to work at releasing that stuff from the mind. Yeah. You know, it's not just a physical practice. So, yeah, that is kind of me doing nothing, creating like arts and crafts with my family's photos and chucking them on the wall and sitting there and contemplating and trying to let go. But So with that, right, <laughs> to me, it sounds like you did a lot of things that people wish they gave the time to do. I wish everyone would take right. more time to do yeah. this kind of stuff. Let's, let's just talk about that for a second, right? And I think that's probably one of the... the, the and, and I'm speaking from personal experience as well, right? Um, for me, that process has always been aided by space of some sort right mm. whether that's physical space whether it's mental space whether it's spiritual space anything that's why finding space is so you know um vast and infinite for me and it means so much to me and it tells the story of my own personal journey of healing um so how does space figure into your journey and your healing journey in that way do you feel like it is a vital component of it because like we were saying, like, I think that in the modern world, the busyness of it all and the constant pace, it, it is hard to take oneself away. And that's why these things like retreats and getaways and holidays are so um, important. But when I look back at my life and I contrast it to then and now and how I live, and we we're talking about states of bliss and things mm -hmm. like this, right? I feel like I have created a life now over years and years and years and years of healing, right? Hmm. Where I have created a life of, of space, where bliss is whenever I want to get it, you know? And, and obviously the degree is different. Depending on the day, it always will be. But I feel like I always have, it's always at arm's reach for me, you know? Hmm. Um, but it, that is something that I've consciously wanted to create for myself. That's amazing. Know? So I, I want to get your take on it in terms of your experience and, and do you feel like that's vital in it? Yeah, big, I mean, as with all things, as with all words and uh, definitions and concepts, it's, it's one perspective and it's a reality and it all works. You know, there is truth in everything. But in my world, yeah, space is... I use the term space a lot when I teach in yoga, you know, create that space in the lower back, which means, you know, a lot of people who don't practice yoga might be like, what the hell does that mean? It just means when you breathe into your lower back and you release from your consciousness, your awareness, your mind, any tension that's stored there, when the tension is released, it unblocks. When it unblocks, the space opens up. You're creating space there by opening up, by releasing the tension. So on a physical level, yes, within our own personal bodies, creating space is a massive part of my life. Mm. You know, to have that feeling of a physical body where you feel free connects to our internal state, our feeling. At the same time, if we go one step deeper beyond the physical body and look at the mind, mental clutter is, I think, a lot of... Uh, is huge 
in, in society yeah. we're confronted with our screen time and I see the rate at which people fucking flick through TikTok and Instagram like it does my head in if I see people like play press play don't finish that video play press flick flick what is that doing to our brains our brain waves our pineal glands like what is that doing to us so I feel like that clutter that's accumulating, all these messages that are programmed into us from media, from our screens, from ideas, from beliefs, from expectations, all of this starts to accumulate as mental clutter, which creates cloudiness in the mind and a lot of stuff. And when there's a lot of stuff there in the mind, it's not spacious, it's cluttered. Mm. And that's when we encounter, I believe, a lot of mental health issues. When people oh, accumulate sure. too much of that energy, that too much of that information mm. in the mind, we become overwhelmed. And then the body, the brain, the, it all starts to stress out. And then the body tries to tell us something needs to change by arriving, by, by, by manifesting itself in anxiety or depression or high stress. You know, it might manifest mentally or it might manifest physically. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But when we don't have space in the mind, these, this is when our emotions come to light as well. Anger. Yeah. Resentment. Bitterness. Drama. Uh, I feel like when we have a lot of clutter in the mind, you know, we create drama and drama gets drawn to us as well. So, so that's space on the mental level. I feel like um, when we can clear out all that space on the mental level and the emotional level, then that paves a way for us to be able to open up to the spiritual, to the divine. That's where we find that blissfulness. Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, sure. space. Yeah. Massive. How are you, Sean? And I think that, um, <clears throat> and I've, I think I've personally witnessed it in you in the last 18 months or so, you know. Um, what's your experience been with that and how um, has that altered, I guess, your perspective on, on, on life, really? Um, so, think the the biggest shift to me or for me has been to give myself time to do things and taking the time so like space for me is very much about taking the time when uh, you know when you say finding space these days that's what comes to mind for me right and um <clears throat> i was someone who and it's funny you were talking about the scrolling thing right that's how i used to scroll my phone and I don't know why I had this moment once. Would have been, I reckon, near the end of last year. So not that long, right? Maybe six months or so. Where I was like, why do you think... So I was reading a caption on Instagram. And then I was like, oh, too long, next one. Oh, too long, next one. And I'm like, too long for what? <laughs> Like, I just had this moment in my own mind. I was like, wait a minute, why aren't you finishing this, right? Like, 
what's so important that you have to get to the next one because <clears throat> you're going to another one <clears throat> and looking for something better I must have been <laughs> right but I was like hey why don't you just read the whole thing so I did that and then I was like oh. and then for a while after that I was like when I'm come across something to read so like it would be the same if I came across an article online right that looked really interesting I'd be like read the first little bit and I'd be like oh I kind of get it and then I would just skim the whole thing and be like I think I got what that was next one or onto the next thing or I need to do this thing after this and I was just like skimming life is what I feel like mm. <clears throat> and it's because I didn't give myself the space or the time to actually delve into things right and so for me what I do now is I'm conscious of that and I give things proper time. So if I'm reading something, I'll read it. <clears throat> if I, I won't just be like, oh, I need to get the crux of it. I'll be like, well, likely there's more to this. You know what I mean? It's like depth, a lot more about depth. And I think I was a lot more about breath before. And by going deeper into things and by giving myself the time to do that and really allowing myself the time because I always felt like it was this opportunity cost, just subconsciously of, if I'm doing this, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not working on this thing that I should be working on. I'm not doing this thing that I said I'd be doing. I'll just quickly do this thing and then I'll get to that thing. But then I just keep flicking onto other shit. Mm. So there was like no depth to it. And so for me, I've been able to create that space for myself to go deep on things. And it's also then got compounded by the experience we had doing True North, right? So our program over the six weeks, we did our first cohort. And what was really apparent through that process of the growth and the, the transformations that the people in the cohort had was they gave themselves the time to inquire within themselves about things that they'd never given themselves time to do before. And that was what I identified as the main difference of how they'd been operating to how they are now operating or started to, to delve down in the process of doing the, the program, right? And it came up, like so many of the guys, that's what they mm. said to us, they're like, I've never taken the time to do it. You know, taking the time to actually think about it and write it down because we prescribed them, you know, these exercises to do, mm. but they had to go away between the sessions we had and really take time to do it. And we just kept reiterating it's like give yourself enough time to do this you might need this much time or this much time but you need to give yourself time and it just reinforced for me that that uh how important it is to give yourself the space <clears throat> and for me giving yourself the space in terms of your time and freedom from all these things you think you quote unquote should be doing to actually what you want to be doing or things that you think can get you further down the path or even realizing the path that you want to be on yeah, there's a real difference in consciousness between operating, uh, how would you say, like a robot, like mm -hmm. unconsciously. Yeah. You know, some of us may be just doing without being really conscious of what choices we have in life. If we were all to just stop and just be like, what is it that I actually want? Like, let's put 
mm, what society thinks aside. Let's put money aside. What would make my heart flourish? What would make my soul sing? Holy shit, that was so daggy, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) What would make my soul sing? Like if we could all operate on that level, maybe we can find a little bit more happiness in life. Maybe. I would think so. I think, look, this this is the paradox for me. Um, we avoid giving ourselves space because we feel like we don't have time. But for me, space gives time. It gives infinite time because it gives you a semblance that, you know, um, of presence firstly, right? And presence, true presence, is essentially timeless. It's timeless. And what I mean by this, I came to this realization, right? Like I've told this story a few times, I think, on the podcast, but like when I was in Japan, staying with the, in the Zen Buddhist monastery, we were, I think I was only there for like, this was my, my second or third day uh, at the stay. And we went off, um, you know, into town um, to get some, to get some errands. And on the way back, I had no idea what time it was. It was in the afternoon because there was a beautiful, like sort of setting warm sun coming through the window of the car as I was sitting there and it was driving us back to the monastery. And there was a moment where I was just staring out the window and, you know, everything froze for me, you know, like sort of suspended in time. I was looking out across the water because it was in this remote fishing village, you know, the, the, the warm sun, afternoon sun was shining through. The, the window and everything. I remember thinking everything back home, right? That I held dear, you know, uh, my home, my job, uh, the money that I had in my bank account, my career, my family, even all those things, they felt like, like a fictional memory. They didn't feel real to me, right? They all melted away. The only few things that um, remained and still felt tangibly real in my mind was my wife and um, you know, the, the, the work that I was doing, that I, that I was there to do. Like, I was truly there, you know, there was no before or after. It was just that moment and the next moment and the next moment, yeah? So when, when you're in that, you can give yourself the space, and like that only took two or three days away from, you know, my busy corporate life, you know, change of scenery, change of space, physical space, to, for me to make that revelation for myself, right? That when I'm completely present and I give myself the space physically, then eventually mentally, then spiritually, when you're present, then that's all there is. There is no past, there's no, you know, there's no future. You know, there is no semblance of time. You know, I didn't know what time it was. I didn't know what day it was. I, and I didn't give a shit, you know? It was, that, that was the moment I was like, Presence is timeless, you know. I think that's when we tap into, you know, it's a bit extreme, but that's where I feel like where we tap into higher, not better or worse, but higher dimensions where uh, the timelessness exists, where time doesn't exist. As they say, you know, uh, time and space is just an illusion. It's all bendable. Mm. I think science... um, agrees that space and time is dimensional right it exists in certain dimensions but in other spaces 
it's completely fluid. Mm. Yeah. But I think, you know, even to, even to come to like some sort of revelation for oneself, right? It's simply even to transcend this, this notion of clock time, calendar time, mm. you know, because that, if, what, I think that we grow up unconsciously just allowing that to control a lot, of, a lot of our lives without us really knowing or realizing, you know, and I was talking about that and that's like the big driver for anxiety for me, for me personally, in terms of like me needing to run all, all the time, whether that was physically or mentally, I felt that push just from these, the hands of time, you know, that because it's like, you know, um, I'm not doing something and, you know, producing something or being efficient or productive, um, I needed to do something, you know, I, I needed to utilize the time to the best that I can because it's limited, of course, um, in that, you know, in that paradigm, it is presented in that way because we think we're dying right and that gives us that notion that we have this limited amount of time but I, I you know when we if we believe that our consciousness doesn't die and it will always exist and the energy will always carry on that needs to do might lift a little bit yeah you know i think i think for for those of us who don't believe in a divine or a spiritual path and this is just our existence and there is no deeper layer to our physicality that's when we feel the need to do and achieve but i i think that that's that's predicated on like an attachment with um the identity mm. and feeling that that is one in the same as our physical existence mm. you know so I always ask this question to people uh, in the same way like not to even talk about uh, any connection with any you know higher realm of consciousness or divinity or anything else right like if you weren't if you were you know nameless if you didn't have your job if you didn't have your family um, if you didn't have your money blah 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 all these sorts of things if you didn't have all those things would you still be alive the answer would be yes, right? If I called you John instead of Darren, you'd still be here, right? Mm. It doesn't mean that you don't exist. So this means that there is some sort of, you know, divide between this sense of identity that we create in our minds versus the actual physical existence that we, we have, right? Mm. Mm. Um, but I think that that in itself is a difficult step for many people to take in terms of contemplating and then subsequently coming to the realization and needing to let go of the, 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 the belief that they were or are someone that they've you know, built up in their minds. You know, I have this very same um, you know, challenges in my life for sure. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot coming up for me when you say that, when you talk about that stuff. Like, um, because like the, the time thing essentially, mm for me, right? <clears throat> and we've talked about time before on the podcast, but I feel like time and our, uh, when we have anxiety towards it or any type of difficulty we feel according to time, it's because of what we feel other people's expectations are of when things need to happen by, right? So it's like, 
if we had no one else around us for which we felt we needed to have things done by a certain time, time really wouldn't matter to us. You could do what you wanted when you wanted, mm. right? And I think that's, like there's nothing wrong with us having those expectations based on other people's time because that's the reality we live in right now, mm. right? Like for this podcast today, we agreed on a time to be here. Mm. <laughs> so we need to be here by this time, mm. right? And, and it enables us to do the things that we want to do. But if we weren't meeting Darren today or if you were just recording something by yourself, it's very different the, the impetus we put on time, right? Um, and I think I bring that up because for me, it speaks to the importance that you place on the experience you have with people around you and the experience you want to have, right? And feel in the respect for other people's time and, and of the things you want to do, right? Because we all have people in our life who don't give a shit about other people's time. They just do things when they want. And we feel a certain way about it, right? And then I think we just project that in terms of we're not going to be like that because we do respect time and we want people to respect our time. And, and these are all the things that interplay when it comes to, to dealing with time, I feel. Right, but I, it's like... Yeah. Like, I, I get what you're saying, and there's obviously a practicality to, to time, and, yeah. and if we want to, you know, live amongst civilization, like, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not naive to that fact, and, you know, you can't, if only, like, I, I took myself away and lived in a cave, I'd be able to, you know, um, uh, not worry about the semblance of time, but in terms of, like, transcending the concept of time itself is not necessarily to not need to abide by it. It's just to understand that it is something that is um, fictional. It, it's, it's, it's a man-made concept, right? Just like many things in our modern lives. And with that understanding within yourself, you are able to do what you need to do with it and how it serves you, you know? Time no longer needs to be a thing that, you know, continually pushes you you know, up the mountain when, you, when you're not willing to go, you know, when you're not ready to go. Of course, if um, I, I run a business and um, I need to set meetings and things like this, but outside of that, you know, there's that ut utility for me for, for time, but anything else outside of that, like, you know, I see it as, um, I guess, my, my life is... Um, I think the hourglass is like a perfect analogy for it, you know. The sands are dropping away each moment that I live and it's up to me how best to utilise each moment, each grain of sand. And if I um, spend it poorly, that's on me. And if I spend it wisely, that's also on me. And that's it for me, you know. Um, it no longer has that stranglehold on me um, that causes this great anxiety that I held within my body for so many years that I believe manifested into cancer, you know, so. Mm. That's amazing to be able to be aware of that. It's all, it's, 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 it's like you kind of liberated yourself from the chains of that idea. Yeah. Which is in which is i guess suffering on one level 
you know, that that ang- that anxiousness, that anxiety for you to be able to con- be consciously aware of what it is that's causing that. And if one layer of it was the sensation of time, and if you've lifted yourself out of that belief system, which it is just a belief system at the end of the day, you've broken your own illusion to pave the path one step closer towards your peacefulness, which is amazing. So I commend you for that. Yeah. And which I feel like has a lot to do with your healing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like on to the next one for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that, I think that, you know, once you realize that there are these like um, chains that you, you, that have shackled you down for so many years, um, you cannot ignore that they're there. And all you want to do is find a way to unlock them. What's Break the key? Free. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's that's my life right now i love know? that and i feel like in in doing that you learn more about who you are as a person and you come closer to this semblance of what it is that you know like you said makes your soul sing um what is your truest heart's desire and it's it's always present now you know it's 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 not something that i can touch or put my finger on or mm. or draw or articulate mm. um but it's there, it's, it's there, you know? It's, it's ever-present in my life. Mm. Um, and, and to me, I'm, I'm facing the right way, you know? Um, that, that is my, I guess, compass to whether I'm, you know, um, sailing in the right direction, so to speak. But it's almost like, as you say, you always have, if once you've trained yourself to get into that space in your consciousness, your awareness, your mind, whatever you call it, you always have that to come back to. You know, yeah. there's, there's things which we will lose in life. But at the end of the day, you know, whatever happens in life, if you've got that space to come back to, you're going to be okay. Oh, it's, Mentally, it's, you're going to be okay. Yeah. It's the ultimate anchor. Like to exactly. Me, to me, like, um, I say this to certain people who I can sort of sense the same type of, I guess, uh, journey that they've been on as I. You know, I, I, can sort of, I can sort of see people who have walked a similar path. Mm. And whenever I come across these people, I will tell them that I don't, I don't necessarily have to worry about you and you being okay or not, mm. you know, because I know that you're going to be okay because you've been through some shit um, internally, you know, and you know how to come out from it, you know. You're not gonna get lost in that quagmire, you know. And I feel the same way for myself. I, um, you know, when people tell us, you know, um, how I feel and things like this, especially in the last like three or four years, I'm, I'm just solid, you know. Um, no matter what's going on in my life, and, you know, years and years ago, that would never have been the case, you know. I'd cover it up with, you know, drugs, alcohol, antidepressants, all these sorts of things. Mm, wow. Um, because I didn't want to face that stuff. I didn't want to, like I said, let go of that semblance of identity that I had built for myself, that Leslie of the past. Um, but, yeah, you know, it took something traumatic like cancer to push me into the right direction. Um, so yeah, 
It's great that you can recognize that. I always see these things that pop up in our life that are challenges as little gifts. Like, like if we choose to learn from these experiences that pop up that take us away from a place of peacefulness, if we can learn to transmute that and gain our power and learn the teaching from that experience, we will gain something really special out of that absolutely knowledge wisdom power strength yeah it's like one of my favorite things about life period and when you the challenges for that reason yeah wow for that reason that very reason yeah because i do believe life happens for us not to us and yeah the trials the tribulations small big whatever they are i feel that they're just a higher power of the universe's way of putting things in front of you that you need to deal with. Right? Yes. So yes. And then you you deal with them and then you learn what to do and then you know what to do going forward and also you can help other people in those situations. Big because time. We're all in this together, right? So and yeah, we're all unique, but we're all like kind of the fucking same. Mm. So like I, I have this thing I say makes people laugh it's like we're all different but we all listen to Drake like everybody knows who he is a lot of people listen to him, right <laughs> like shit like that like when you think about that right it's Holy like shit I don't know I've never heard you say that you? one before no. yeah well it is right it's like yeah we're all so different but we all know this one guy and those same songs and we all like him. <laughs> right so like we're not all that different and with that so if I go through something and I learn a lesson then you might go through it, you might go through it. It's pretty likely you're gonna go through something similar. And if you ask for advice on it, I can help you with that. And, and I, I like that, right? Nothing more to it than that. I don't have any like uh, deep yearning desire to like fix your life <laughs> through my experience. But if you do want my advice, I'm more than happy to give you the time and whatever wisdom I might have gained from the experience I had that might serve you with it. I, I just take, um, I have enjoyment in that, right? And I think it's also because I've, uh, I've benefited so much from that myself, from other people sharing their experiences. And then when I've come across a situation or an experience that has felt the same, like in terms of the, the trouble part or the tribulation part, I'm like, wait a minute, someone's told me about this. What do they do? I do that and it's okay. And I'm back to the peace of mind, right? So I like doing that for other people too. And that's when, you know, people talk about paying it forward. That's my version of paying forward, right? It's like, maybe you won't have to have the trouble at the same degree. If I can help you with that, I'm more than happy to do that. I like that. And so, yeah, all those, those challenges and stuff we have, if you choose to look at them as gifts, the way you put it, which is the way I, I feel about it, I totally believe in that. That is just one way of operating in a certain reality. I do feel like the opposite of that is victimhood. And as you say, I, I do feel like a lot of us fall victimhood to life is happening to me. That external experience or person or thing is making me feel like shit and making my life hell. I feel like when we learn to just take responsibility that we're in charge of our own reality that we create, 
that we have the choices, we are sovereign beings, like we have the power to shift into something that feels good. There's two choices. It's like, look, am I going to let this situation or this thing make me feel like shit and I'm gonna be, am I going to fall to a victim to it? Am I going to create drama around it and I'm going to make this make my life hell? That is one path. I can choose to do that. But what is that going to help us to walk closer towards our peace? Or can we look at it and see it as an opportunity to learn, uh, transmute, and make it something better. I believe we all have that power, but it's our choice. And the thing is, if we fall victim to it, we're just going to endure suffering. Yeah. If we choose to try to learn and transmute it, then we're going to gain our power. So it's either victim and suffer or learn and empower. Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that, you know, Sean and I, we, we, we teach it a little bit in, in the program and, um, you know, without giving too much away, you know, um, of, of course, choice is our superpower. It always mm. has been and always will be, right? Tingles. And, and each, you know, each choice point is like a crossroads. Yeah. And that's, it's to expand or contract. And that's it, right? Yes. Expansive choice, contractive choice. And even not doing something about it is a contractive choice. You know, it's that's a choice, choice on your part. Yeah. Right? Gain power or lose power. Exactly. 100%. But fear or love. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's um, a really nice place to sort of round out the conversation, yeah? I think so. Um, thanks so much, Darren. It was a beautiful pleasure. conversation. Thank you. I also. love these conversations. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, no. Um, it was a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to, you know, be present in your beautiful space here like I've told you so many times I love it and um, you know it's it, it's uh, it's just beautiful to be here um, so so yeah thank you for that thank you for your wisdom thank you for your time um, I'd love to give you the floor to share with the audience where they can find out more about what you do who you are all these sorts of things if they want to reach out yeah. uh, okay um, so my business here is called yogic state um, <laughs> Uh, I'm so shit at this. Yogic State. Uh, you go www.yogicstate.com.au or Instagram is at Yogic State. So Y O G I C S T A T E, Yogic State. Cool. Um, I'll add all the links to the show notes so people can find you easily, Thank mate. You. Uh, Sean, where can people find you? Yeah, easiest place to find me is on Instagram, Sean underscore Coop, S H A U N underscore C O O P. And people can also find out more about what we do with the program at true-north.co. Just head to that website. How about you, man? Yep. You can find me on my website, findingspace.co, um, and also on Facebook and Instagram. It's at findingspace.co. Yeah. And I'd just like to thank you too, Darren, for today. I love these conversations as well. They're the best. So. Anytime. And nice to... This is the first time I've met you, right, yep. Sean? Yeah. Yeah. Really nice to meet you. you too, I, I like man. your energy. Yeah. So yeah. much. Yeah. resonate a lot with you and what you say, so feelings mutual so and this space is amazing it is it's got a it's got a vibe and an energy to it for sure yeah people say that yeah and um i'm sure that has a lot to do with you as well so thank everything you. to do with this yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure thank you so um i would yeah i would encourage people to come check you out here yeah because are you gonna come where do you live i live in uh in ride uh it's not that close yeah just come for a we'll come. special random weekend class one time We'll do. We'll do. 
So yeah, I'd really like to employ people to come check you out as well. Other people as well. Thank I think you. I'd love them to feel what you know we feel sitting here. It's really cool. Okay. It's really cool. So until next time, guys. If um, you enjoyed the conversation, took some nuggets, just uh, share with one other person how we made the podcast. And until next time.